Good morning. Hope you all are doing good um, and are ready for what we're going to be diving in this morning. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can make your way to Mark chapter 11. As you can see behind me, we're doing a series called Pilgrimage to Passover. And uh, I got to confess that I, it did not occur to me until this morning, and God reminded me of this, and I'm sure you all remember this already, but Last year, we did a very similar series like this as we got closer to Easter. We call it Journey to the Cross, but, um, and God reminded me of that, and, I, and so I started looking back just this morning, okay, what, what did God do last year that He's doing different this year? And so um, it's kind of cool how it's working that way, and I promise uh, I, I did pray about that and how this would work out. So you may remember Journey to the Cross? Oh, we got a few. All right. Yeah, the, the righteous. Uh, okay, yeah, sure. Um, anyway, um, so anyway, we're going to be Mark chapter 11. We are looking at something we did look at last year, uh, oddly enough, but we're going to look a little bit differently at it. Uh, we're going to begin in verse 12 here in a second. As we begin uh, this morning, i got a question for us all to think about. Um, is anybody in here, are you willing to confess for yourself at this moment that you get hangry? I, I was unaware of that word hangry. I think it was a couple of years it kind of came into my vocabulary and I became even more aware of it uh, when I had a little girl named Abby who's usually full of joy except when she becomes hungry, she becomes the exact opposite of a gremlin uh, in that you, you need to feed her to calm her down instead of feed her to make her worse. And so uh, we, we've experienced this several times that we've gone on vacation and, and you've uh, been in a car for quite a while and uh, see, he just needs some food, and so it begins to change an emotion, begins to change a tone of voice. Uh, we are German by, uh, by our, our heritage background. That's Herchen, good German name. And I noticed that with Abby, uh, her German fully comes out when she becomes hangry. Um, we have a son named Ethan, and uh, she will very much pronounce his name in a German way, Ethan! And uh, it, it just makes everything stop for a moment. We have to make sure we take a breath. Um, but maybe you don't get hangry, uh, but maybe you have someone in your life that gets hangry, and you're fully aware of that, but maybe they're not. Would you really confess that this morning? I don't get hangry, but someone in my life gets hangry, and I'm the one who has to take care of that situation. Yeah, um, it, it, it's a very fun situation that we have to take care of. But here's the thing. Um, we're looking at, at going through the days leading up to the cross, and today we're focusing on, on the Monday. And I know Mondays are always fun days. We all love Mondays. This last week as school's getting ready to start back up, you know, I'm married to a teacher and we have kids and spring break just ended. So this last Monday was not a joyous Monday. And most teachers in, your, in their heads are saying amen to that, but they're not going to say it out loud because, you know, they love their job all the time. But um, Mondays, and I don't know about you, but Mondays can be a tough day. And it seems as we come into Mark chapter 11 and verse 12 that Jesus is having a hangry Monday. And you'll see here in a second what I mean. But here's the danger that we're going to be seeing this morning. We may get physically hangry and we may mentally project that hangriness. We may emotionally project that. 
But did you know you can also get spiritually hangry? You can get spiritually angry. You can, have, you can get so dry and so malnourished spiritually with God that it impacts your emotions, your words, your reactions to things, and, and it impacts your relationships with people. You and I were made for a relationship with God. And the temptation of our life is to look to other things to give us the fulfillment that only God can give us. And when we do that, we create a spiritual malnourishment inside of us where we become spiritually hangry. And so we make stupid decisions. And so you might not confess you've been hangry, but I bet you all can confess like I can, we've made stupid decisions because we've not been pursuing after the right thing to fulfill our needs and inside of our, our hearts and our souls. Verse 12 is where we'll start again in Mark chapter 11. Mark's in the New Testament. And verse 12 begins with on the following day. Now here's the thing about the Gospels. <clears throat> gospel means, you may remember what Gospel means? said it last week. Good news. All right, Gospel means good news. And so we have four Gospels in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are known as the Synoptic Gospels. And there's not going to be a test later, so don't worry. It means they're the most similar. They have some of the most similar stories, some of the most similar languages used within those stories. And so if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you would find a lot of the same stories that are in each one of them. Okay, John is the most different, but not like eluding what they have in their books, but it's the most different because there's stories in John that we don't have in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and there's also situations in Matthew, Mark, and Luke that we don't have in John. But if you read at the end of the Gospel of John, it says that if all the things that were to be written about Jesus were written, that all the books in all the world would not be able to contain them. And so there are so many things that the disciples got to see with Jesus in, in the three years they were with him that we probably don't have. We know that he spent time with them, uh, teaching them on the parables and letting them know the, the depth of the parables and what they meant. And we don't have that with every single parable within the Gospels. And so as we come into the Gospel of Mark here, if you look at Matthew and Luke, the reading of Matthew and Luke with this situation this morning would appear that the cursing of this vegetation and the tossing of the temple tables occurred on the same day in which Jesus was paraded into Jerusalem, or what we know today as Palm Sunday. That's the Sunday before Easter. But Mark lets us know that this, in fact, happened on a separate day. And so why the difference? Because some people say, well, that's why you, know, you can't believe the Bible, because it has contradictions in itself. Well, it's not a contradiction. It's that each writer was, was led by the Spirit to give us certain information. And we have the beauty of having all four of the Gospels be able to put this incredible picture together to understand exactly how things happen. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John use, use phrasings like on the next day, or the next Passover, or the following day, things like that to get, let us know a, a time change. Well, Matthew and Luke aren't led to give us that direction that there's actually a difference between the Sunday, the parading into Jerusalem, and the tossing of the temple tables and the cursing of the fig tree on the next day, but Mark is. It doesn't mean they contradict. It lets us know that the Bible from Matthew to Revelation and, and parts of the Old Testament is not written as a historical book. 
As our students are, are going through history classes, they get dates and time periods and certain information, and it's usually in a chronological format, you know, one to ten type of thing, and it begins working its way up. Well, the Bible's not written for that purpose. It's not written for us to have a historical book where we can study time periods and time frames. We are given historical people and historical, historical information, and we're given historical festivals and celebrations, hence Passover's going on right now. But it's not meant to be like a chronological thing. It's not meant that we can digest it like, well, this happened on day one of Jesus and this happened on year three, day 60 of Jesus. That's not the intention of the Bible. We call it good news. We call it the gospel because the writers of the gospel were led by the Spirit to record the ministry, the life, the teachings of Jesus Christ, the miracles of Jesus. But ultimately, they were getting to the death and resurrection of Jesus because that is the whole purpose of the gospel. It's to know that Jesus came to live a life we couldn't to make God known, but ultimately to die for you and I as sinners on a cross and then rise from the grave that we can be forgiven. So in Mark, Mark gives us this little detail that would help us understand Matthew and Luke better. John doesn't really even deal with this issue because John is more concerned, if you read in the Gospel of John, more concerned about the last night of Jesus and the Lord's and what we call the Lord's Supper in the upper room and that whole conversation and leading to the cross. But Mark says on the following day, and it's significant to us because when we take this in the whole picture of, of what happened the day before, the day before, Jesus is riding in on a donkey. He's riding in on a colt. He's being waved palm branches. He's having coats laid down. They're, they're singing praises to him. They're reciting psalms and, and prophecy about him. And it's just a whole spectacle from Bethany, Jerusalem, about two miles of this long parade. And, and Mark tells us in verse, uh, verse 11 that he entered Jerusalem, went into the temple, and when he looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So there's this long parade. Jesus finally makes it to Jerusalem. He arrives in the temple. The expectation of the people, the parading, the singing of praises, the laying of coats, the palm branches, is the Messiah has come. The king is coming. He's going to restore us back to the days of King David and King Solomon. But Jesus shows up, goes to the temple, and he looks around and says, well, all right, that was fun. Let's go. And so we come to on the following day with Mark. And you notice the change in the atmosphere. There's a change in the people. There is no parade on Monday, right? We don't parade Mondays in, unless it's a holiday, I guess. But it's the following day when they came from Bethany. Bethany is kind of the... Uh, home base during the week of Passover. Most likely Jesus stayed with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And about two miles they would walk in and we're told on the following day he was hungry. And that's something we can look over so simply. But Jesus was the Son of God. Fully God and fully man. And, and throughout the Gospels we have these little details that we can just look over thinking, oh, he's hungry. But it lets us know he took the former man. He went through the things we went through. He suffered the way we would suffer, and yet he did not sin. He was hungry. It was morning, and fish sticks weren't up for breakfast yet. But he goes 
on in verse 13, and, and seeing in distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it, and when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season of figs. What is that, what is that telling us? Well, Jesus is walking, he sees a fig tree and leaf. That's pretty obvious. But also, this is not the season for figs. It's not the season for the, the, the tree to be bearing fruit. And yet as Jesus is walking with his disciples, with no parade going on, no welcoming back into Jerusalem on the following day, he sees this fig tree that appears to be in bloom. That's what it means when it says it, is, it has leaves. It appears to be in bloom. It appears that it's ready to bear fruit. And so he goes to it. Obviously, he knew what he was going to find there. But he goes to this fig tree, finds that it looks an appearance to bear fruit. It looks ready to be able to eat from, but in fact, it is bare. And then he pronounces this cursing in verse 14. He says, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. So you can just take verse 12 through 14 and you can capitalize and, and, and subtitle that as hangry Jesus, right? I mean, that's what happens with us. We arrive somewhere, we're hungry, and when they have nothing that we really want to eat, right? I mean, we, we just, we need the, anyway. But what's going on here is you have a change from Sunday to Monday. And the fig tree was a representation of that, train, of that change. Sunday. Worshiping Jesus. Sunday, great expectations of what God can do and will do and wants to do. Sunday, our focus is completely focused on God and worshiping Him. We, we sing songs to Him. We, we stop and we pause and we allow someone like me to, to preach His word. Sunday is God's day. Then there's the following day. And on the following day, this fig tree is a representation of the dangers when we only worship God on Sunday. We appear to bear fruit. We appear to be a believer. We appear to be saved. We appear to be in season. But in fact, we're bare. In fact, we don't, we look like something that we're not. How is your Sunday to Monday? How are you with God today? And is that the same you're with God tomorrow? How are you with God on Tuesday? The rest of the week? See, it's so easy for us because I know I've done this myself where I can come to church and I can play church and I can fool everyone else. And then I, I check out and the rest of the day's mine, the rest of the week's mine. As long as I'm back the next Sunday and when Jason says to shake hands and smile and say hello, I do all those things and I stand and I go through all the motions. But am I bearing fruit Monday through Saturday? Jesus said very clearly in the Gospel of Matthew that you'll know a tree by its fruit. 
And he's not speaking about the fruit we bear when we gather in the house of the Lord. He's talking about the fruit we bear when we go about the rest of our week. Do we appear to be in season here, but when we go out into the world, we're bare? In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25, Jesus makes, I think, one of the most scariest stories in all of the Bible. It's called the Day of Judgment. And in this story, the parable is of sheep and goats. And Jesus breaks down all people into two different categories, and he calls all people to himself for judgment. And he separates them, and he says, as the shepherd, which separate the sheep from the goats. And the sheep would be on the right, declaring them righteous, and the, and the goats would be on the left, declaring them wicked. And the same judgment is pronounced upon both groups of people about things that they did and how they took care of their fellow man and how they loved their brothers and how they helped people in need and how they showed the love and the mercy and the grace of God to people that were around them. Same judgment. Oddly enough, those who were the sheep were surprised that Jesus gave them that judgment because they didn't know when they did it. It was just natural, natural fruit that was coming out of their life. Whereas the goats, on the other hand, were surprised because they didn't know when they should be doing it. And yet Jesus takes no excuse and he pronounces judgment on both, allowing the sheep to come home and the goats to go out into torment, into darkness. And when I read that story, it always makes me want to check my heart because here's the reality. There are individuals in this place right now there are individuals who believe they are in season and bearing fruit for the Lord. But the reality of what Scripture teaches us, there are some individuals who think they are saved, who think they have an assurance of salvation, but they are in fact lost. And when they stand face to face with Jesus Christ, He will separate them and they are going to be surprised on which side they are on. Because they appeared to be in season when it was time to appear to be in season. But the reality is they weren't bearing any fruit. So Jesus curses this fig tree. And on Tuesday, verse 20, they passed by in the morning and they saw the fig tree was withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. So this was a lesson for the disciples. You see, Jesus wasn't just getting mad at vegetation. It was a lesson for the disciples to learn, a lesson for us to learn that we can be just like the people on Sunday that were here on Monday. Vacant, gone, nowhere to be seen. And a lot of times we can do that is because we can give the appearance of truth and the appearance of salvation. We can appear to other people that we've got it all figured out that we're doing it right. And we do that, and what the Bible shows how we do that is because we believe in a false gospel. And we accept that gospel. And there's a lot of gospels out there that people accept. There's the gospel of stuff. Gospel stuff, the, the, the theme slogan or logo is name it and claim it. You know, you, you name it and claim it and you will it into being. Well, that's not, that's not the real gospel. 
Matter of fact, Jesus said the exact, same, the exact opposite of the gospel of stuff or the gospel, the prosperity gospel as it's commonly known. He said not to store up your treasures on earth where moth and dust destroy and thieves rob and steal, but store up your treasures in heaven. And But the gospel stuff says that I should become more attached to the things of this world and I should acquire more things of this world and so I should name it and claim it. Now our family, if you want to play name it and claim it in your own house, our family does it in the car. Uh, we do it when someone lets out a strange odor from their body. And so we say, name and claim it. That's the closest we get to the gospel stuff in our family. But the gospel stuff has led a lot of people away because they believe this. They believe, the gospel stuff believes this, that I accepted God's gift of salvation. And because I did that, God owes me a favor. That's what the gospel stuff says. Yes, I've been saved. Yes, I'm not going to hell. But because I accepted this gift, God should keep giving me stuff. He should keep making me rich. And I see a lot of y'all faces like, that sounds stupid. But that's exactly what the gospel stuff does. It says, God, what you've given me in my salvation is not enough. And then there's the gospel of, of standing still. We see this a lot in Southern Baptist churches. The gospel of standing still has a motto as well. It's once saved, always saved. Now here's the thing about the gospel of standing still. Once saved, always saved is a biblical truth. But the gospel of standing still takes a biblical truth and does what Satan does, and he wraps sinful nature around it. Instead of living by that truth that I'm saved by Jesus Christ and I'm always saved, I always belong to him, which the Bible preaches. We take that as a, a, a license to continue to sin. And, and this should sound just as strange as the gospel of stuff to us. But what we do is we say, well, you know what? I fall short and I, I sin, but you know, once saved, always saved. I always belong to Jesus. I, I, can, I can do what I want. And, and, and I've had in conversations with people that have told me this as I'm, as I'm giving them counsel. Well, you know, once saved, always saved. So what are you going to do, preacher? <coughs> Here's the problem. God did not save you and me and declare us to be children of his so we can live as children of the devil. And so God saved us, and we can declare, I am saved, I'm eternally secure, truth. But the Bible is very clear, and you can read through the book of Romans if you would like, that our salvation does not give us a permit to continue in a life of sin. But the gospel standing still just does just that. It forgets the fact that God saved us so he can set us apart as the Bible calls sanctifies us. And it remains where I am. And there's a lot of people, and I was like this as well, there's a lot of people that are spiritually the same age today as when they came to Jesus Christ. And there's a problem with that. There's a huge problem with that. And if you don't think there's a problem with that, our parents that are here today, if your kids acted the same way they acted in the first few months that they were in your life, and they're supposed to be teenagers or in their 20s or 30s, you sing, oh, happy day? 
I praise the Lord I don't have to change diapers anymore. But we can do this spiritually. We can just stand still in our salvation. We don't pursue after God the way we're supposed to. And then there's the opposite end of it. Instead of standing still, we, we create the gospel of what I call the gospel of steps. The gospel of steps is this, is that if I love God, I'm to be obedient to God. And the word of God is truth. And so I'm to live by that truth and preach the truth and represent the truth and be all about the truth. And that is, guess what? Truth. But then we, we take it and we put it on steroids and we say this, that, okay, so I have to do this and do this and do this and not do this and not do that and not do that. And when I do this, I'm righteous. And therefore, because of my righteousness and the things I am doing, I can now look at those people who are not doing what I do and I can put them down at their level. See, the gospel step says that I can do my righteousness. I've got this plan, and if people aren't on my plan, then they're obviously sinners and don't know Jesus. And the gospel steps basically says that instead of Jesus paying it all, I've got a little more to pay. Instead of Jesus being the once and for all, well, Jesus did die once and for all, but... I've got a few loose pieces to pick up. But his righteousness is not enough. And so I create what the Bible calls legalism, or the Bible doesn't call it, it's a phrase from the Bible, legalism, where I have these steps, and if I stay in these steps, then I'm going to be righteous and I'm going to be saved. And, and it becomes this point that if anybody else is not in my steps, then they obviously don't know Jesus. And so we create our own Christianity. And then we're obviously dealing here with Mark 11, the Gospel Sundays, where Jesus is worshipped on one day but not the other days. And here's the thing about if, if we believe a gospel that is not the gospel to which the Bible presents, here's the danger. We create our own God. Think about it for a second. You may believe in God, but if you've defined how that looks in your life and it's not according to what the Bible defines it, then you have created your own God. And you are serving and worshiping a God not of the Bible, but a God of your own intuition and your own invention. That's why God has given us the Bible. That's why all of it is God-breathed, because God knows that we can get distracted and we can get confused. And that's exactly what happens here on Monday. The people were confused on who Jesus was supposed to be because they had this expectation of what Jesus was supposed to do. He was supposed to give them an earthly kingdom. He was supposed to give them stuff. He was supposed to, to come and, and, and ensure that Israel would reign forever on this earth. He was, he was supposed to, to make them just rise up and overpower the enemies. He was going to be something and then he just shows up and then walks away. And because Jesus was not what they thought Jesus should be, they became disappointed. And a lot of us have become disappointed with God, not because of who God says he will be, but because who we think God should be outside of his word. We've created our own idea of God. And the only way to fight this, here's what, we've become spiritually hangry. 
And the only way to fight this is we have to be invested in our relationship personally with God. We have to be reading the Word of God daily, reading devotions about the Word of God. We have to be talking about the Word of God with other believers. We have to be invested in His Word so we know, okay, I'm actually following what God says I should be following because there's a lot of stuff out there that appears to be biblical but is far from it. And people are following are falling to it left and right. They appear to be fig trees, but they have no fruit. Picking on verse 15 in Mark 11. So they come to Jerusalem... And he entered the temple. The temple is a representation of where the presence of God dwelled. It's where the people of God would come to worship God and offer sacrifices and, and be in the presence of God. And he comes to the temple and he began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying, is it not written? My house shall be called a house of prayer, of prayer for all the nations. But you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. So Jesus comes to the temple. He comes to his daddy's house, his father's house, this place where his God's people could meet with him and hear his word and, and live a life according to what he called them to live and offer sacrifices for those times that they fell out of where God was supposed to call or God was calling them to be. And he comes to this temple and he comes into a spectacle so what was happening is the week of Passover, people, Jewish people from all over the world would be traveling to Jerusalem between Passover and what we call Pentecost. We're like 40 days of the celebration of Jewish people where they celebrate God delivered them from bondage of, 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 of slavery from Egypt in Exodus. You can read of that story. They celebrate when God came upon Mount Sinai and gave the law. You can read about that in Exodus 19 and 20 as well. And they would celebrate this 40 days of what God had done for them, declaring them to be his people and he to be their God and having this relationship with him and him guiding and leading them and being involved in their life. And they would come to the temple during the Passover and during this time to worship God and to celebrate and to remember. And Jesus comes in this place that is supposed to allow people to come and worship and celebrate what God has done and remember God's faithfulness and his promises. And he sees this circus going on. Because as people traveled, they didn't have trailers like we had today. You couldn't load up a sheep or an oxen or a whole bunch of pigeons in your car and drive. You had to walk because most people were poor. So they would walk hundreds of miles to come to Jerusalem to celebrate this one festival. And so you wouldn't bring a sheep with you. You wouldn't bring an oxen with you or a bull or a pigeon. Why? Because if you're going to offer a sacrifice according to the Old Testament law, that sacrifice had to be pure, undefiled. And there's a danger if you bring something hundreds of miles with you, if it breaks a leg, you bring it to the temple for you can't get it in for sacrifice. And so as people would travel to Jerusalem, they would come to the temple and outside of the temple. So just imagine our parking lot. 
Outside in, in the parking lot, outside before you got into the gates and the doors of the temple, there would be people selling the oxen and the sheep and the goats and the pigeons. And you could buy them and you could take them in. But once you got into the temple, once you got into where the presence of God was supposed to be, along came a priest and a priest would inspect your animal. And if your animal was not pure and undefiled, the priest would say, you cannot sacrifice this. But here, let me give you one that you can. It only costs three or four times more than what you bought it for out there. And so the priests had this inflation. So they had all these tables going up. This is not a thing about, you know, you shouldn't have fundraisers at church. A lot of people use this passage of Scripture for that. That's not what Jesus... Jesus is not mad about a fundraiser. He's, <laughs> he's upset because they've made the house of God And God's ways for people to get close to God and have a relationship with God, he's mad because they built a wall. I don't know how you feel about the wall being talked about right now, but this is definitely one wall Jesus is against. And that is a wall that keeps people from having an encounter with the one true God. And that's exactly what false gospels do. False gospels, false expectations, and false manifestations of what we think God should be always puts a wall up to the real thing because people get confused. And this is happening in our world today. We just had a conversation about this. We had one of our largest attendants this last Wednesday night for adult Bible study. It was Terry, myself, and Lacey. Three. But two or more, he is there, so... But we had this, this conversation that, that really dealt with this this morning is that people are getting confused on what Christianity is because Christianity has become cultural. We don't want to offend anybody. We don't want anybody, we don't want to, anybody to feel like that's something that's wrong or something God is against. And so we've created this cultural Christianity and we've begun to redefine what it is to be Christian and what it redefines what God declares of what is right and what is wrong. And you look out in our world today and you look in our denominations today and those things that are to represent God and to allow people to have an experience with the one true God and to begin a relationship or grow in that relationship with God. And you wonder why the world is so mad at the church. It's because we appear to be in season, but we're not bearing any fruit. And that happens when we start believing something that's not found in this. Yeah, Jesus was hungry. Yeah, he was hangry. But the reality is, is he was mad because there was a hindrance to coming into the presence of God. And because there was a hindrance to coming into the presence of God and hear the word of God, there was a confusion upon when the Messiah actually showed up and what he was supposed to be doing. The question this morning is, How is your relationship with God? Not as how is the person next to you? Or how is your wife or your husband or your spouse, your boyfriend, girlfriend, mom and dad, aunt, uncle, grandma, grandpa, whatever. No, no, no. How is your relationship with God? What has Monday through Sunday looked like this week? 
for you. See, it's so easy for us to gather in this place and for Jackson and the band to just lead us and, and to be in this moment and to worship and sing the songs and go through the rhythm. But here's the reality of what this service should be in this moment. A worship service, not just here at Harvest Hill, but across this nation and every single church around this world, a worship service is a reflection of the worship that God's people have been having from Monday to Saturday. And so when a worship service feels stale or the people feel like they're unengaged or they're distracted, it's just a representation of how the relationship with God has been during the week. So how has your relationship with God been? My confession to you is there's been times that I've been off. There's been times, and I know I'm a preacher and I, and I should get paid to read the Bible every day, but I don't. There's times I get so busy and so distracted. I got so many things to do. There's, there's, I have Mondays too. But I found that when I don't make this a priority in my life, I become spiritually hangry and it impacts every relationship I have throughout that day and the rest of that week. So are you spiritually hangry? The Bible gives us a very clear definition of what the gospel is. And I want to let you know what the gospel is today. The gospel begins by understanding that God created you and me to be in a relationship with Him. If you look in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3, you see that God created, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And God spoke all things into being until He came to mankind. And when He came to mankind, the Bible says that God created mankind out of the dust of the earth and then He breathed the breath of life into man's lungs. And from the first man, God created the first woman in his image and in his likeness for a purpose of being in a relationship with him, to be able to commune with him, to talk with him, to engage with him, to hear from him. But the Bible then lets us know that the reason that relationship, the reason we all struggle in that relationship is because a thing called sin came into the world. And what sin is, sin is when I know the things I should do, but I don't do them. So I know this is right, but I don't want to do it. Or I know this is wrong, but it feels so good. That's sin. And the Bible also says anything I, when I know the right thing to do, but I fail to do it, that's sin. The Bible also lets us know that all of us, guess what? Sin. We all fall short of the glory of God, of His holiness, of His perfection. We all allow things to interfere with our relationship with Him. This is part of the good news. This is part of the gospel because here's what God knows. God knows that about us. There's not a sin in your life or my life that has surprised God. There's nothing that has taken him off guard. He has seen your whole life. He has every day of your life written in his book. He knows everything you're going to go through, every story you're going to, to go through. It's all in his book. But then, because we know we struggle, because we know that 
there's something greater than ourselves. Even if you're an agnostic or atheist, you know there's something greater than yourself. Otherwise, agnostic, agnostic and atheist would speed all the time and they wouldn't care if they died and they wouldn't be amazed with the sun or the universe or anything like that. I mean, there's something greater than ourselves in this world. And what the Bible says, because we know that, we try to do things here on this earth to make sure that we make whatever that greater power is happy. And we do that in Christianity as well. Well, man, you, you go through a hard time. I, I just, I got to get back to church. Right? I, I really need to start reading my Bible more. You know, I really, I haven't been praying as much as I should. Yeah, I really just need to get involved. I need to get plugged into a ministry somewhere. And these aren't bad things, but the problem is, is when we make these things the thing that we actually need, see, our, our souls tell us we're spiritually hangry. But instead of us trying to fix the problem, God says, you know what? I've already fixed the problem. The problem is fixed through Jesus Christ. He's fixed through my son. And so all these things you think you need to do, yes, they're going to be beneficial for you, but you need to understand that I have completely fixed it through my son, Jesus Christ. So instead of you paying the price, know that my son fully paid the price for you. And when you accept that, you get engaged back into this relationship that I created you for, and it becomes an eternal relationship. So heaven isn't just when I die. I get to live as a heavenly being right here and now when I have Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I'm an eternal being. I'm living eternal life right now. That's why it doesn't matter if I live or die. If I die, woohoo! If I live, all right, there's more to do. What gospel have you accepted? Have you accepted the gospel that Jesus paid it all once for all, did it all, gave it all? Or you believe in a gospel that you still got something to do to prove you deserve it? That's not the gospel. And God has brought you this morning. Maybe that's been you. Maybe the Spirit's been drawing you to get involved. Maybe the Spirit's been drawing you to read the Bible more, pray more, or, or do something more. Just so you can fill your spiritual soul. But understand, God isn't calling you those things so you can appear to be bearing figs or fruit when you're, you're not in season. But what gospel have you accepted? Is it the gospel this presents or is it a gospel you've manifested? You want to make sure today. I'm going to ask Jackson to come up and lead us. If you're here this morning like Pastor Mike, I, I tell you what, I walked an aisle one time, I prayed a prayer, and I was even dunked at one point in time. That's about you, what you did. Are you ready to say, I just want to, I want to surrender. I'm all in. Maybe you're here this morning and you've realized that you've been putting up walls and making God into something that is not in this. And that needs to change. Maybe you just know you're spiritually hangry. You come every Sunday for the pastor to fill you up 
The reality is you need to be searching after God every single day during the week. And you know that needs to change. This time of invitation, we call it the time of invitation because I'm inviting you, but not just I. God is inviting you to respond. So if you're here today and you, need to, you want to be sure of your salvation, I don't have a magic prayer to give you. There's not anything magical about this aisle. We didn't sprinkle any magic dust on it or anything like that. But the Bible says when I believe in my heart, I've got to confess with my mouth and part of confession is public. And so that's why we come this time of invitation. To publicly let it be known you want Jesus. Maybe you just need to publicly come before and kneel before the Father in repentance. I don't know. But let's pray together. I'm going to invite you to respond. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. Lord, thank you for this image that in the midst of this final week, as you saw the cross drawing near, that you stopped to curse this plant that appeared to be something it was not. And Lord, forgive me for those times in my life I have appeared to be something that I am not. Forgive me in those times I've placed barriers. I've called, I've allowed things to to make people stumble instead of opening up the gates so they can meet you. Lord, forgive us when we've made Sunday your day, but the rest of the days are our days. We've worshipped you in this place and we've sang your praises, but come to the following day, we're somewhere else. Father, I pray that here at Harvest Hill, I pray for these who are gathered here this morning, those who would hear the message in maybe some other format, but Lord, you would just place your spirit upon our hearts in such a way that we get to a place of conviction, that we just long for the joy of our salvation. We worship you in spirit and truth. Forgive me if I failed you in any way, if I said anything that is been a distraction to what you want to say. Lord, forgive me and just take it out of our minds and our ears. But Lord, let your gospel just dig deep into our hearts and take root. And I pray for those here this morning that need you as their Lord and Savior. Father, they would not be able to stand still when they stand here in a moment. They would have to walk down the aisle. They would just feel you drawing them to and understand that that they need you. I pray for my brothers and sisters of Christ who are struggling because they're spiritually hangry. Their soul's depleted. Father, you would just renew a steadfast spirit inside of us. Thank you for this day. Thank you for this time you're drawing us to you. Praise all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand. Sing. I invite you to come.